Ladies and gentlemen, once again, this is another episode of Dub Weekly Podcast. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for hitting that subscribe button. I want to thank you for if you've uh, given us a, a shout out or told your friends or your family or anything. We appreciate it. We need you to tell a, fo- a folk, a friend, a folk or two, a friend or two. We need you just to help us spread the word. If you can, give us a five-star rating. If you can, write us a review. Send us an email at duh, D-U-H, weekly, W-E-E-K-L-Y, podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at Gmail. Look us up on Instagram, uh, Duh Weekly Podcast. Look us up on Twitter, Duh Weekly Podcast. Look us up on Facebook under Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, Pale, P-E-L-L. We have a Duh Weekly Podcast discussion group. And that's it. But yes, reach out to us. Uh, In the show notes, you can click on the uh, anchor link if you want to help us support the show with a $5, $2, $3, whatever donation. Um, We also have our PayPal link in there. Anything would help promote and push this show forward just a bit. We appreciate it. So... Tell a friend, tell two, send us a review, send us a rating, let us know you're there, send us an email, look us up on Facebook and reach out, say, hey, I listened to your podcast or something. Let us know you're there. And that would be greatly appreciated because it's, it's, uh, it's really, uh, it's really neat to hear from, from people all over the world that, that listens and, uh, you know, send us a message just saying, hey, I'm such and such, I listen in uh, Brazil or, uh, Connecticut or Tennessee or, or wherever. And, and we appreciate that. Um, you know, true crime is, um, it's just something that, I mean, it's hard to explain. It's just something that you, it's like, once you get involved with it, you just, man, you just want to go out there and solve crimes. You just want to go out there and dig up information you want to find you want to solve things you want to be a detective you want to be a private investigator you want to be everything and um, this is what we can do to help and sometimes it feels like it is um, nothing it feels like we're giving nothing back and it's hard it's easy to be discouraged um, but we just got to keep pushing on, pushing forward, doing the best we can. And that's, at the end of the day, all we can do. I want to give a few shout-outs here. I want to give a shout-out. I, I record this podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee, which is Tri-Cities area. It is uh, Bristol, Johnson City, Kingsport. That is East Tennessee, uh, in the lovely United States of America. And I want to give a shout-out to a local magazine, the Tri-Cities Living Magazine. Um, It is a a local publication here. Uh, They also have a publication, uh, a a magazine called The Loafer, uh, that is put out by the Blue Ridge Media Group and Marketing Innovations. And their owner is a lady by the name of Kimberly Santucci, and um, hopefully we can do some business with them in the future. 
but look them up. Uh, you can Google the Tri-Cities Living magazine. You can uh, look them up on Facebook under uh, Tri-Cities Living magazine, Blue Ridge Mini Group, or you, you can look up the Loafer, L-O-A-F-E-R, or Marketing Innovations. You can also reach them at marketing, let's see, marketinnovationsjc at .com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-I-N-N-O-V-A-T-I-O-N-S-J-C dot com. Marketinnovationsjc dot com. Reach out to them. They've got a, a good... Uh, a good publication this month. It's it's featuring women in power, and it's featuring uh, three local women that are doing an amazing job in their community. Really, really, uh, just setting it on fire. And I uh, just want to give a shout out to that publication. And uh, reach out, reach out to them. Look them up on Facebook. Let them know you heard it on on the weekly podcast. Also, I want to put out a shout out per se to uh, Beach Creek Haunted Hayrides of course those uh, they have non-haunted hayrides available uh, grand opening is going to be October the 2nd you can find them on Facebook they have a Facebook page under Beach Creek Haunted Hayrides that's B-E-E-C-H C-R-E-E-K Haunted Hayrides look them up on Facebook like that page, let them know where you heard it, and we will appreciate it greatly. We have several sponsors that have uh, reached out to help us with the hay rides this season. It's a good opportunity. We have a few spots left, so if you're interested, you can reach out at uh, you can reach out to us here at the weekly podcast. We're going to be able to put your ad on a uh, a four by eight banner that's at the entrance exit of the hay rides. We've got two three-by-six banners that go on the trailer. Put your ad there, and we're going to have 100 T-shirts that are given away, and you can have your ad on that, which leads me to one of our sponsors that I want to mention this week is Dream Construction and Remodeling, LLC. You dream it, we build it. That's uh, Sean Hall. You can look him up on Facebook as well. Uh, plumbing, flooring. Retaining walls, home renovations, decks, uh, ramps, fencing, you name it, they've got it, they can do it, uh, 423-923-0133. I want to thank him for uh, for doing some business with us. Man, just reach out to these folks. These are, this, is, this is really the most common principle is people doing business with people, good people. These are good, local, honest people. So reach out to them. Look at the loafer. Google it. Uh, Google uh, Dream Construction and Remodeling, LLC, uh, Mr. Sean Hall. Uh, these are good people. Good people. So um, without, I believe that's all the business I've got to conduct on this here episode today. You know, I've been listening to M. William Phelps' podcast, Paper Ghost. And I know he probably won't hear this, but man, Emily and Phelps, he's just, the, I, I, I don't know what it is. He's just good. I could listen to Emily and Phelps sing Old MacDonald. Uh, I, I might even watch him do a tap dance. I'm telling you, Emily and Phelps is the man. 
and his podcast is amazing. And Dark Minds, I can watch the. As a, right, I'm telling you right now, in the living room, a Dark Minds episode is playing right now as we speak. I just love that show. And another show, Disappears a good one too. But Dark Minds is one of my favorites. And it kind of leads into what we're going to talk about today. So, I want to give a shout out to M. William Phelps. You're amazing. I love you. But when we come back, I want to talk about, and you'll see the tie in here, I want to talk about the serial killer Keith Hunter Jesperson. And I'll tell you the connection to M. William Phelps when we return. We'll be right back. If you've watched Dark Minds with M. William Phelps, and you know he had serial killer Raven on there, which he would go to uh, throughout the, the episode. And um, Raven was, in fact, Keith Hunter Jesperson, the smiley face killer, the happy face killer. Sorry. Um, and that was kept a secret for a long time. And it's even... And, and William Phelps said that you know he just got in his head, and and his his friend Kelly, a FBI profiler John Kelly, who had a, a in the beginning of that show Dark Minds, he had one called a, a serial killer called Thirteen, which was actually uh, Joel Rifkin that he he went to and, and spoke to about cases, and as the show went on, you know they they Jesperson became the serial killer known as Raven. Um, he was born April 6, 1955, and like I said, he is known as the Happy Face Killer. Uh, his number of victims are eight plus. It, it looks like that the date of his activity or his murders were between 1990 and 1995. He was arrested March the 30th of 1995. His uh, murder method was strangulation. His known victims were Tanya Bennett, age 23, Claudia Cynthia Lynn Rose, age 32, Laurie Ann Pentland, age 26, Angela Sabraz, age 21, Julie Ann Winningham, age 41, and then there's possibly others. Um, he was a long-haul truck driver, so the crime locations for him were uh, Nebraska, California, Florida, Washington, Oregon, Wyoming. And you wonder how someone like that could get caught because you're looking at such a broad range uh, as far as locations. Uh, so many different jurisdictions involved, so many different agencies of law enforcement. So how in God's name would someone get caught? And I'll tell you, a little bit of background on Jesperson, you know, like a lot of other killers, he grew up basically with an alcoholic father who was just a domineering man. Uh, and like the same goes for his grandfather. So it's just a pattern here. He had a violent grandfather as well. He was one of five children born to Leslie and Gladys Jesperson in Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. Now he was Jesperson was a very big man, six five. 
but he was very big for his age as a boy, and you know obviously he was teased a lot, and and um, he was he would it would cause him to to uh, to go inward, so he was uh, lonely and a recluse. Even in his own family, it's I've read that he was an outcast and was treated just. He was treated differently, just we'll say, than, than his siblings. Now, when they left British Columbia and the family moved to Washington, nothing changed for Keith. Um, and his family, particularly his brothers, were often the ringleaders, giving him uh, terrible nicknames like Igor and Ig, just because he was just because of his size. Now, at a young age, Jesper, Jesperson, Keith Jesperson was known to torture and kill animals, which we know should have been a sign for trouble ahead. We know that as one of the trifectas of a future serial killer, being the animal cruelty, one of them. You know, he, would, he claimed he would fantasize what it would be like to do the same to a person and he often got in trouble as a as a young man, and twice he, he was stopped while trying to kill children who he had felt had crossed him. And one of these boys was his friend, Martin, and one of the few boys who actually associated with Jes Jesperson. Martin would often do things that would be blamed on Keith, and he would get punished for things that he, he hadn't even done. So finally one day he attacked Martin, beating him violently until he was stopped by his father. He claimed later that he fully intended to kill Martin. So about a year later, Jesperson tried to drown another boy while they were swimming. He tried to do it again later at a public pool until the lifeguard stopped him. So many occasions as a young man there were signs of, of what was to come with Keith Jesperson. You know, despite all this stuff going on, he, you know, Jesperson maintained to graduate from high school. He got a job driving a truck. And, you know, he eventually married and, and had three children. Now, it seems that about 15 years into this marriage, Jesperson and his wife divorced. You know, over the years he had suffered an injury. Uh, and that prevented him from, from following his dream of, of becoming a Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman, but you know, a lot of times these folks want to get into positions of power so they can abuse that authority. And Jesperson, as a a policeman, would have been terror. Would have been would have killed and would have had a, a, a badge to back it up. So, you know, at, at 35 years old, he stood. I'm sorry, six foot seven and a half, and weighed around 240 pounds. Now, after his injury, he had actually went back to driving a truck, and before long, he couldn't contain his desires anymore for murder and for death. Now, we know that Jesperson's first known victim was Tanya Bennett. It's stated that he met her at a bar on January the 23rd of 1990 in Portland, Oregon. And they got to having a few drinks, you know. And he's like, hey, come back to my house. We're going to participate in some sexual activities. Which I must say, 
I'm not saying that this is a high-risk lifestyle, but you've got to be careful. You cannot go and have drinks with a man at a bar and then go back to his home to have sexual activities. He got into an argument, and what did Jesperson do? But he beat her, strangled her, and then he wants to create an alibi. So he's thinking, I've just murdered this woman. It's his first victim. He's getting his M.O. together. He's getting all of his, he's honing his skills. He's doing his thing. So he goes back out and he goes out and has some more drinks, talking to people, making sure people see him. Then he goes back to dispose of Bennett's body. Now, it's, they believe that there's a substantial gap between the first murder and the next. Uh, there was a body of an unidentified woman. She was found August 30th, 1992, near Blythe, California. The woman had been raped and then strangled to death. It stated, and it says, although this victim has never been identified, Jesperson later stated that her name was Claudia. So that's a possible victim there. But we look, we're looking at a, a two-year gap between the first and the second. And you see this a lot of times in serial murder or serial killing. They're able to control that desire for all of their life somehow, whether it be through killing the animals or torturing or going right to the brink. But then you notice, okay, they, they commit the first kill. And they're able to live off of that fantasy, whether it be through through memory or they keep a token or they keep a, a, a driver's license, a, a, a necklace, a a pair of underwear, they keep something that when that urge starts to come up again, they can look at this item and relive that fantasy until that is not enough. And it looks like two years from the first to the second and third might have been enough for Keith Jesperson because we know in September of 92, the body of Cynthia Lynn Rose was found in Turlock, um, Oregon. And Jesperson claimed that she was a prostitute who had entered his truck uninvited while he was asleep in it. Um, then uh, the body of another prostitute was found in November of 92, Laurie Ann Penland of Salem, Oregon. Uh, she had allegedly tried to double charge Jesperson for sexual services. And when she threatened to report it to the police, he strangled her to death. We know we see this lifestyle, and I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying that when you're in these situations, you are alone with these these crazed killers, and you don't know that. I, I understand that. And the chances of you running into a serial killer uh, while he's asleep in the back of his truck so you can perform sex with him to get money, you have a better chance of being bit by a shark in the parking lot, I guess, of the same truck stop. But... This, whether that woman double-charged him or not, she was she was dead. And Jesperson has been quoted to say, once the victim is in the car or the truck, there's no turning back. And that's exactly right. So we're looking at 92 here. He goes from you know 90 to the one victim to 92. From what I read here, it's possibly one, two, three bodies in 92. So then we're looking at a timeline. It's 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 shortening up here, because we see now that three bodies in '92, just six months later, the body of another identified woman was found in June of '93, in Santanella, California. According to Jesperson, her name was either Cindy or Carla. 
So there's many victims here that aren't even uh, on his count that he is uh, definitely guilty of, of murdering. It says here that in September of 1994, uh, the body of yet another unidentified woman was found in Crestview, Florida, and Jesperson later claimed her name to be Suzanne. Um, Jesperson was asked by Angela Subrise in January 1995 for a ride to Indiana from Spokane, Washington. He agreed. And about a week into the journey, she started to nag Jesperson, telling him to speed up so she could see her boyfriend. Instead, Jesperson raped her, then strangled her, before tying her to the undercarriage of his truck, facing down. He dragged her down the road to remove her face and destroy any fingerprints. So, her body was disintegrated, basically. So we look at the timeline of Jesperson... January of 90, Tanya Bennett. Then we've got August uh, 92, the Claudia, or a.k.a. Jane Doe. Then in September of 92, so we've got August, September, November. That's within several months of one another. In 1992, we've got Claudia, Cynthia Lynn Rose, and Laurie Ann Pentland. Now we've got a Jane Doe or Carla or Cindy in 1993, and that's June. So... He's from November to June of 93 is seven months roughly, or six months, there it is. Um, and then it's looking at like September of 94 is Suzanne Jane Doe. Uh, so what do we, so we've got June of 93, so July, August, September, October, November, what three, we have 15 months, but basically between. Carla, Cindy, or Jane Doe, and Suzanne, which is another Jane Doe. So what was the reason for that slowdown? Was he off the road? Was something going on with his family? Because it, it seems that we have a, a, a process that's speeding up, or it was more along the lines of crimes of opportunity while he was out he had more opportunity, and when he had the opportunity, he was going to take it. So we've got a 15-month gap there. And then we go to January of 95, we have Angela Surprise. Now, whether or not you know, she was the one that came to him for a ride, whether or not he would have searched her down, whether or not if she didn't nag him, would she have made it to, to Spokane, would she have, or Indiana? Probably not. That's just an excuse for somehow to justify in his mind that, you know, what he'd done was not, you know, he didn't just do it to be doing it. He'd done it, oh, she was nagging me to death, or she was this, or she was that. Now, that was January of 95, and just, it, it, it seems like that, and I'm sure Keith Jesperson knows this, the... The fact that he did not have any connections to these victims made made this stranger abduction or stranger killing, which means even if they identified these people and who they were, the Keith Jesperson had no connection whatsoever to these victims. And nine times out of ten, unless his DNA is left, and even if it is left, unless his DNA is in the system somewhere for a crime he committed, 
they're not more than likely going to say, okay, we've got this unknown DNA. Well, let's go find Keith Jesperson. More than likely, he would have gotten away with it. But what causes someone to get caught? In this case, what caused Keith Jesperson to get caught? We'll go into that as soon as I get back. We'll be right back. Thanks. Okay, guys, we're back. Um, Keith Jesperson had murdered uh, Tanya Bennett in 1990, uh, Claudia, uh, 92, Cynthia Lynn Rose in 92, Laurie Ann Pentland in 92, Carla or Cindy in 93, Suzanne, he believes was her name, in 94, and Angela Surprise in uh, January of 95. Now, his last victim was Julie Ann Winningham. Now, Keith Jesperson had made his final and fatal mistake. Because we know that when someone is murdered, they're going to immediately look at the inner circle and they're going to work their way out. And it's what they should do. They start small. And if they can rule people out, the circle gets bigger. Ruling people out and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when up to now he has murdered women that he has no contact with other than just running into them at truck stops or rest areas or wherever it may be. So he should know that the stranger abduction or the stranger killing is what's going to keep him free. But he makes this very, 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 very fatal mistake. Good for law enforcement, bad for Keith Jesperson. Now, he was brought in for questioning after Winningham's death, but he wouldn't answer he wouldn't answer any questions. And, and, you know, they had no grounds to formally arrest him for murder. So he was released. And, you know, obviously at this point, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesperson was <clears throat> certain. I mean, he just knew they were coming for him. They were coming for him in just a matter of time. So he decides for whatever reason to turn himself in. Now, I don't know if that's him trying to get ahead of the other murders and saying, okay, let me just get ahead of this. Maybe I can get 10, 15 years. Maybe I can make a plea deal. It was a, an accident. Maybe I can argue self-defense. I'm not saying any of these theories are right. I'm not saying any of these theories are accurate. I'm just saying they are possibilities. Uh, and and I, I do believe that he was hoping that it would help him when it comes to sentencing because in his mind, and I don't know if he thought they had more or if they had what they needed. But in, in Keith Jesperson's mind, he was as good as caught. So for whatever reason, he turns himself in. And he was arrested on March the 30th, 1995. Now, during the police interviewing Jesperson, he begins to talk about the details of, of not only Winningham's murder, 
but of several others that he claimed to have committed. So any hope of sentencing at this point goes out the window. So I'm not sure if in his mind he's thinking, now I'm going to take all the credit for everything that I've done. If I'm going to go down for one, I'm going to go down notorious. So after going through all of these interviews and telling stories of not only uh, Julianne Winningham's murder, but telling stories of, of various other murders he committed, he, he recants the whole thing and says he's innocent. But what he didn't realize, and he has written, he had written a letter to his brother. And in this letter, he admitted to killing eight people. Now, he eventually claimed to have killed around 160 women. But investigators were only able to link him to eight. So, obviously a number of trials commenced. You know, the murders had been in several different states. So that was a, a jurisdiction nightmare. So, you know, each case was, was filed in the, in the relevant location. Now, right before Jesperson... Keith Jesperson was about to go on trial for the murder on the on Jessica, I'm sorry, on Julie Ann Winningham. He pleaded guilty in October of 1995. And I'm just assuming that this was to take the death penalty off the table because he was given life imprisonment. He was transferred to Oregon and on November the 2nd, 1995, he entered a no-contest plea for the murder of Tanya Bennett. Again, he received a life sentence with a minimum period of 30 years before parole. Now, while he was in prison in Oregon, law enforcement was putting together a case for the murder of Laurie Ann Pentland. Now, once... The investigators had, had discovered and realized that Keith Jesperson was the happy face killer. They were able to link him to the death of Pentland. Now, letters had been written by Jesperson after the murder of Pentland, claiming responsibility for the killing, and were signed the happy face killer. He was convicted of the murder and sentenced to life again with the 30-year minimum. Now, at this point, an extradition order was, was secured by the state of Wyoming to put Keith Jesperson on trial for the murder of Angela Surprise. Now, Jesperson, he, he really got under the authority's skin, uh, under law enforcement skin now, because he's starting to change his story about where he'd actually killed her, because if she hadn't been murdered in Wyoming, the, the costly court process would be just... Enormous. So instead of trying to play this jurisdiction nightmare game with Keith Jesperson, a deal was made that if he pled guilty to Sabra's murder, the agreement would be prosecutors in Laramie County would not seek the death penalty. So on June the 3rd, 1998, Jesperson received a life sentence for the murder of Angela Sabra's. Now, unfortunately for Jesperson, 
it's still possible that other charges and trials could take place for, for several of the other murders that he's yet to be tried for. Now, one of the things that's odd about this case is two people were convicted of the Tanya Bennett murder, wrongfully, but there was someone incarcerated for that murder. To me, this is one of the most important outcomes of this, because Jesperson being convicted of the murder of Tanya Bennett, it gave these two people their, their life and freedoms back. Laverne Pavelak. She thought, you know what, I'm tired being in this long, shitty, abusive relationship with John Sovalisk. So her thinking it was a good, good way to get rid of him, she went to the detectives and claimed that Sosnovic, I don't know how to pronounce that, S-O-S-N-O-V-S-K-E, had forced her to help him with the rape and murder of Tanya Bennett. Now this backfired on Pavelak. Pavelanek. Because both her and so so Sosnovic were charged and convicted in February of 1991 for the murder of Tanya Bennett. John remarkably pled guilty in an effort to, to avoid being found guilty and receiving the death penalty. He was sentenced to life in prison. How fucking crazy is that? This man was put to the point to where he would plead guilty to something he didn't do because he seen no way out. And instead of being killed by the state, he'd just plead guilty. And the woman, Pavlinek, Pavlinek, P-A-V-L-I-N-A-C, she received 10 years. Although she was quick to admit she had made the whole story up, at this point, nobody cared. So luckily for them, four years later, on November 27, 1995, both Laverne Pavlinek and John Sonovoski were released because Jesperson and his attorney provided his confession. To prove they were innocent, Jesperson informed the detectives where they could find Bennett's purse. Information only the killer would know. So A, this woman should have never, never, excuse me, went to the police with that. That's some karma right there. That's crazy. But thankfully... They were released, and thankfully the right man was incarcerated for the murder. So did he kill 160? Is the Happy Face Killer one of the most prolific in the United States? We know he killed Tanya Bennett. We know, according to him, he killed Claudia. Or a Jane Doe, Cynthia Lynn Rose, Laurie Ann Pentland, Carla or Cindy Jane Doe, 
Suzanne, Jane Doe, Angela Surprise, and Julie Ann Winningham. There's no doubt in my mind if Keith Jesperson hadn't made the mistake of killing someone that he had once dated that could directly connect him to a murder and then for whatever reasons start talking about the rest, there's no doubt that he would have not been arrested at that time and may have killed several more or many more. We won't know really how many he truly killed. We won't know really if they'll ever bring, looking at three, four life sentences, will they ever bring up charges on some of the other cases? Looks like to me he's got four life sentences. He's got eight victims. Keith Hunter Jesperson is a very interesting person in mind. I want to say serial killer, killer, whatever. Just with his work with Emily and Phelps and his work on Dark Minds, I find it uh, intriguing. Maybe his way of trying to help, trying to give back. He, through M. William Phelps' talks, he, he, it was just how casually Keith Jesperson spoke of things that uh, an ordinary person just wouldn't even fathom. But Keith Jesperson once spoke of shoving a Whopper uh, sandwich from Burger King into a, one of the, his victims' mouths while she was dead and laughed because she wasn't able to enjoy it. Keith Jesperson's daughter, Melissa Jesperson, has done amazing work and has a podcast specifically about Keith Jesperson and the Happy Face Killer. I believe they're making it into a TV film or a movie. She's done amazing work. There's a lot of uh, serial killers over the years. There's books. Books after books, 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 books filled with, with killers, murderers, missing persons. You could have, uh, you could tell a story every day and have no trouble finding material to tell and make others aware of, of different things that, that has went on or, or even recent cases that are active now. I don't know, it just kind of gets, uh, I have things that get on my mind and I want to tell a story or I want to let this story be told. I, I've been listening to M. William Phelps' new podcast, um, Paper Ghost, I believe the name of it is, and he finally admitted to that, Ray, well he didn't say Raven from Dark Minds was Keith or Jesperson, but he spoke about his eight year um Basically, eight, I'd almost say friendship, but with Keith uh, Hunter Jesperson. You know, can you imagine a, a man six foot seven, two hundred forty pounds, and uh, maybe a small petite woman, or, or, or even me myself at two, you know, six foot, six foot tall, uh, two hundred some pounds. I mean, that that's just once they, you know, realized that. They weren't going to make it out of there, just that fear. And I believe that's what they, they get off on just as much as the killing themselves. But let us let me just recap 
Keith Hunter Jesperson. His alias nickname was the Happy Face Killer. His characteristics were rape. And his murder method was strangulation. And he is sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Y'all should listen to uh, Paper Ghost. That's a good part. I think Emily Phelps is just the man, I'm telling you. He is the man. But, uh, you know, I was talking to you last week about a case uh, that's local here, uh, Jonathan Lee Ellis. It's a missing persons case. Um, he went missing in March, I think, of 2019 um, or October. I have, like I told you, I have tried to gain some information on this case, and there is none. I have reached out to two people. Well, I've reached out to 10, but two people have made contact with me that were friends of his that spoke to him on a daily basis, and I can get nothing from them. Nothing. All I'm trying to do in Jonathan Ellis's case is to look into it, talk to some of the people that talk to him every day. I just want to get a timeline down as to what this gentleman was doing the day he went missing or the day before. Because we know that that is the most crucial. I'm hoping that somebody will talk. But then again, sometimes you got to be careful in what you try to dig up. You just really do. We have a small community here, and there are nine or ten unsolved murders over the, over the years that are still unsolved. It just takes one comment, one question, one answer to break a case wide open. Today we talked about a pretty well-known serial killer and Keith Hunter Jesperson, the, the happy face killer. I don't know that a lot of people knew he was raving on Dark Minds or that before him, 13 was Joel Rifkin. Maybe we'll talk about Joel Rifkin next week. But my heart always goes out to the families, to the victims, to the victims' family, and even to the perpetrators' family. No one knows what causes, really, what causes people to do what they do. But I think that over the years, they have started to develop with the BAU and things, the FBI. I think that they've got it started to develop a pretty good system on how to figure some of this stuff out. But next week, we'll talk about something else. And I hope it's uh, something you want to hear. So please share the podcast. Tell a friend. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Uh, send us an email. Let us know you're listening. Tell us where you're from. Something. But I appreciate the hell out of it. And I hope you guys have a, an amazing day. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Oh, this is the Weekly Podcast.